Three men in a boat to say nothing of the dog. By Jerome K. Jerome. Chapter 1. Three invalid suffering rings of George and Harris, a victim to 107 fatal ladies. Useful prescriptions, cure for liver, complaining children, agree that we are overworked and need rest. A welcome rolling deep. George suggested the river, Montgomery, lodges an objection. Original motion carried by major majority of three to one. There was four of us, George and William Samuel Harris, myself and Montgomery. Montgomery. We were sitting in a room smoking and talking about how bad we were. Bad from a medical point of view. I mean, of course. We were all feeling seedy. We were getting quite nervous about it. Harry said he felt such extraordinary fits of giddiness come over him. At times he hardly knew what he was, go- what he was doing and when that George said he's had fits of giddiness too. And hardly knew what he was doing. With me, it was my liver that was out of order. I knew it was my liver that was out of order because I just been reading a patient liver pill circular in which the detail the very symptoms of which I man could tell when his liver was out of order. I had them all. Most extraordinary thing I had ever read a patient medical advertisement without being impelled to the conclusion I'm suffering from a particular disease been dealt with in its most variant form. The diagnosis seems in every case to correspond exactly all the sensations that I have ever felt. I remember going to the British Museum one day to read up the treatment for such a slight ailment for which I had to touch hay fever. I fancy it was. I got down the book, read all I came to read, and then in my unthinking moment I only turned to sleeves began to indulgently study diseases generally. I thought, which was the first distemper I plunged into? Some fearful, devastating surge, I know. Before I had glanced halfway down the list primary symptoms, it bore upon me that I had fairly got, got it. I sat for a while frozen with horror. Then, in listlessness despair, again turned over the pages. Again, the typhoid fever, read the symptoms, discovered I had typhoid fever. Must have had it for three months without knowing it. Well, what else I got? Turned up. There's some vigorous dance found, as I expected. I had it at two. Began to get interested in my case. And determined to sift it to the bottom. And so started apparently, read up and argued. And learnt I was suffering from it. And that the acute stage would commence in about another fortnight. Black disease, I was so relieved to find, had only in a modified form. So far... As that was concerned, I might live for years. Cholera had for several co- severe complications. Diphtheria, I seemed, had been born with. I've only consensually through the 26 letters, and only in Malaya could collude. I had not got was housemaid's knee. I'd rather heard about this at first. It seemed someone had to be sort of slight. Why hadn't I got housemaid's knee? Why is this in rigorous reservation? Of the while, however, last grasping feelings prevailed. I reflected I, I, I ever, I, I had ever, every other known malay in the pharmacology. I grow less selfish and determined to go about housemaid me. Gout, most malignant stage, it might appear, had seized me without my being aware of it, and as in I had eventually been suffering from the boyhood. 
There are no more diseases after Zimmerius. So I concluded there was nothing else the matter with me. I sat and pondered. I thought about an interesting case. I might be from a medical point of view, but in Grassacrician I should be at a class. Jews would have no need to walk in the hospitals. If they had for me, I was a hospital in myself. All he do was do would be to walk around me and off that take the diploma. I wondered how long I'd had to live. I tried to examine myself, I felt my pulse. I could not at first feel my any pulse at all. Then all of a sudden it seemed to start off. I pulled out my watch and timed it, made it hundred and forty seven for the minute, and tried to feel my heart. I could not feel my heart. It stopped beating. I ever since have been included, induced to come to the opinion it must have been there all the time. It must have been beating, but I cannot account for it. I patted myself all over my front from what I call my wrist, raised up to my head. I went a little around each a bit around each side, a little way up the back. I could not feel or hear anything. I tried to look at my, my tongue, so as far as ever it would go. Shut one eye and tried to examine it with the other. Could only see the tip. Only thing I could gain from that was to feel more certain before I had scarlet fever. I walked into the reading room, happy, healthy, very healthy man. I called out a decrepit wreck. I went to my medical man. He was an old chum of mine. Feels my pulse and looks at my tongue. Talks about the weather, all for nothing. I fancy a meal. So I thought I would do him a great good turn by saying to him how, what a good, what a doctor wants. I said his practice. You shall have me, you have more practice than that of me than any of the 1700 by ordinary commonplace patients. For only one or two diseases each, went straight up and saw him, he said. Well, what's the matter with you, I said. I don't take up your time, dear boy, telling you what is the matter with me. Life is brief and you might pass away before I've finished. I don't, I will tell you, that is not the matter with me. I have not got my husband's knee. His knee. Well... Why have I got housemaid knee? I cannot tell you. But the fact remains I have not got it. Everything else I have not got it. I told him how I came to discover it all. He opened me up, looked at open, then opened me. He opened me and looked down at me, clutched hold of my wrist, and he hit me over the chest. I was expecting it, a curly thing to do, I call it. Immediately after butted me, he said his head. After that, he sat down and wrote up a prescription, put it out and gave it to me, put it in my pocket and went out. I did not open it. I took it to the nearest chemist and handed it out to it in. Man read it and then handed it back. He said he didn't keep it. I said, Are you a chemist? He says, I am a chemist. I was a corporate if I was a co-op stores, family hotel combined. I might be able to oblige you. Bring any chemist hammer hammers me. I read. The prescription ran one pint pound of beef steak with one pint of bit of beer. Every six hours, one ten mile walk every way, one bed, one bed at eleven sharp every night, and don't stuff your head with things you don't understand. But the directions why happy salt speaking for herself. Uh, life was reserved and still going on. Present instance, going back to liver pill circulation, had symptoms beyond, beyond all mistake. The chief among them being a general decline, a work of any kind. I suffer in any way, no tongue can curl. My early sympathy, I have been a martyr to it. As a boy, a disease hardly ever left me for a day. They don't know. Then what? that was my liver. Medical science was a far less advanced state than now. He used to put it down to laziness. 
Why are you soaking, little devil, you? They were saying, get up, do something for you. You're living, can't you? Not knowing, because that I was ill. And then they didn't give me pills. They gave me clumps on the side of the head. The strangers made me peer. Those clumps on the head often cured me for the time being. I had known one clump on the liver head. More efficient effect upon my liver and made me feel more anxious to go straight away then and there and do what I was have wanted it to be done without far, further less time, less of time. A whole box of pills does now. You know, often it's so. The simple old-fashioned remedies are sometimes more efficacious than all the dispensary staff. We sat there for half an hour, describing to each other our melodies. I explained to George and William Harris how I felt. When I got up in the morning and William Harris told us how he felt, we went to bed. George stood on the rug and gave us a clever and powerful piece of acting, illustrative of how he felt in the night. George fancy he's ill. There's never, there's never anything really the matter of him, you know. At this point, Miss Poppet knocked at the door and know if we were ready for supper. We smiled suddenly each of one and said, We suppose we had better try this one a bit. Harris said, Still something in one's stomach. I'll look at the disease in check. Miss Poppet brought the tray in. We drew up a table and toyed with a little steak and onions. Sir Rupert Tart. I must have been very weak at the time because I know, after the first hour or so, I seemed to take no interest in whatever with my food. Now you think of me, didn't even want any cheese. Judy done, he filled the glasses, lit a pipes, and resumed the discussion upon our state of health. What is it done? What was it that was actually the matter with us? None of us could be sure, but an anonymous opinion was it. Was it was that it, whatever it was, had been brought on by our work? All we want is rest, said Harris. Rest and complete change, said George. Overstrain upon our brains, produce adrenal depression throughout the system. Strange to see an absence of the necessary from a fault. Restore the mental equilibrium. George was a cousin who usually described in the charge sheet as a medical student, so that he naturally was somewhat family psychiatry way of putting things. Agreed with George and suggested you should seek out some retired Old world spot far from the man account, and dream away his sunny week, apart among its drowsy lanes, some half forgotten nook hidden away by the fairies, out of each of no easy world. Some quaint perch for eerie on the cliffs, a time for whence the surging waves of the nineteenth century would sound far off and faint. Harry said he thought it would be bumpy humpy. He said he knew the sort of place I meant. Where everyone he went to bed at eight o'clock, he couldn't get a referee a love of money, and I had to walk ten miles to get your backy. No, said Harris. If you want your rest and change, you don't. You can't beat a sea trip. I obliged, objected to sea trip strongly. A sea trip does not does you good when you're going to ha- have a cup. When you're going to have a couple of months of it, but for a week it is wicked. It's on a Monday with an idea planted in your bosoms. You're going to enjoy yourself. You wave an airy adieu to the boys and shore, light your bayou's pipe, and swagger about the deck as if you were Captain Cook. So Johnson's Drake, across the crumbers, still rolled in one. On Tuesday you wish you didn't come, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday you wish you were dead. And Saturday you were able to swallow a little bit of tea, sit out on deck, and answer with a wan, sweet smile, then keen and even a people. Ask you what, how you feel on Sunday, begin to walk about again, and take solid food on Monday morning, as you bag your umbrella in your hand, you stand by the gun walk, waiting to be coming up ashore, you get in the fellow you like it. 
I remember my brother-in-law going for a short street trip once for the benefit of his health. He took a return birth from London to Liverpool. When he got to Liverpool, the only thing he was anxious about was selling his return ticket. He's everything round in the town a tremendous reduction. As I am told, eventually sold for 18 pence to a bullish looking youth who had to just survive by his medical men to go to Seaside to take exercise. Seaside, said my brother-in-law, pressing a ticket fresh into his hand. While you have enough to last your lifetime, as for the exercise, while you'll get some more exercise, more exercise sitting down on the ship, you were turning the somersaults to dry land. He said, my brother-in-law, came back by train, said the Northwest Railway, the railway was healthy enough for him. Another fella, I went new for a week, voyage, down the coast, and finally went started. Managed to, it came to, out to him to ask whether he would pay for each meal, so he had it, arranged beforehand for the whole series. Stuart recommended letter course, they would come so much cheaper. He said they would do with him for a week, but a week, at five pounds, Two pounds five. He said that for breakfast there would be fish, would be fish followed by grill. So lunch was one, considered four courses. There's six soup, fish, entree, drink, poultry, sweet, that's how sweet cheese and dessert. I like meat stuff at ten. A friend thought he would close on the two pound five job. He's a hard eater and did so. Lunch came just as they were off CNS. He didn't feel so hungry that he thought he should. So he contented himself with a bit of boiled beef, some strawberries and cream. He pondered a good deal during the afternoon. At the time it seemed to him he'd been eating nothing but boiled beef for weeks. At other times it seemed that he must have been living on strawberries and cream for years. Neither beef and strawberries and cream seemed happy, either seemed discontented like. At six I came and told him dinner was ready. The announcement of rail was no fugitive with him. He felt is some that two pound five to be worked off, held up to the ropes, the things went down. A pleasant odour of onions and hot ham mingled with fried fish and greens screeded him at the bottom of the ladder. And then the steward came up with all his smile and said, What can I get you, sir? Get me out of this, said the feeble reply. They ran him up quick and popped him up, O'Leary, and left him. The next few days he lived a simple, blameless life. Finn kept his biscuits, I mean, biscuits were Finn, not the captain. A soda water, but sometimes, all Saturday, got up his, went for weak tea and dry toast. On Monday, he was gorging some chicken broth. He left the ship on Tuesday, as it steamed away from the landing stage, gazed after it respectfully. There she goes, he said. There she goes, with two pounds worth of food on board. Belongs to me, and that I haven't had. He said if he hadn't given him another day, he thought he could have put it straight. So I put set my face against the sea trip. Not as I explained. Upon my account, I was never queer. But I was afraid for George. George said he should be all right. Would rather like it, but he was, would advise that Harris. He'd like to think of it. He like, felt sure he would both be ill. Harris said that to himself. It's always a mystery how people manage to get sick at sea. Said so though he thought people must do it on purpose for effectuation. Said he had often wished to be, but never been able. Then he told us the anecdotes of how he had gone on channel, across the channel with so rough the passengers be tied to their berths. He and the captain were only two living souls aboard who were not ill. Sometimes it is he and the second mate who were not, who were not ill, but it was generally he and the other man. It was not he and the other man, it was he by himself. 
Cruise fact that not everybody, ever, not everybody, nobody, not but it's cruise fact, but but nobody is ever seasick on land. The sea comes across plenty of people, every bad, very bad indeed, whole boatloads of them. I never met a man yet on land who had ever known at all what it was to be seasick. Where the thousands upon thousands of bad sailors swarm in every ship, hiding themselves when on land is a mystery. If those men were like a fellow I saw in Yoma both one day, account for seeing stigma, enigma. Enough. It was just off Southern Pier, I collect. You're leaning out through one of the portholes, very dangerous position. Without two to try and save him. Hey, come further in, I said, shaking him by the shoulder. You'll be overboard. Oh, I wish I was. The only answer I could get, there I had to leave him. Three weeks afterwards, I met him in the coffee room to a bath hotel, talking about his voyages, explaining the refusal. He loved the sea. Good sailor, you are, replied in answer to my mild young man's adverse query. Well, I failed and I did feel a little queer once, I confess. It was off Cape Horn, a vessel was wrecked the next morning, I said. Well, you a little shaky by South and Pier once for that day. Will it be thrown overboard? South and Pier replied with a quick expression. Yes, going down to Yarmouth last Friday, three weeks. Oh, yes, he answered, frightening up. Remember now, I had a, head, a headache that afternoon. The pickles, you know. They're the most disgraceful pickles I ever tasted in a respectable boat. Do you have any? For myself, I discovered an excellent preventative. I can see balancing myself. Stand in the deck. The ship leaves of pitches. You remove your body about, so you keep it always straight. When the front of the ship rises, you lean forward to the deck. With touches of nose. It's back and gets up, you lean backwards. Very, it's all very well for you, an hour or two. You can't balance yourself for a week. Who said, I've got up the river. He said, you should, we should have fresh air, exercise and quiet. Because it changed the scene. But it occupy our minds, including what what they was for Harris, the hard work. Give us a good appetite and make us sleep well. Harris said he didn't think George ought to do anything. But it had a tendency to make him sleepier. He always was. It might be dangerous. He said he wouldn't. Didn't very really well understand how George was going to sleep in more than he did now, seeing that there was only 24 days and every, each day summer winter light. But thought he did, if he did sleep anymore, he might just as well be dead, and so see if he's bored and lodging. <laughs> Harry said, you know, whatever the river would suit him to be a tea, to a tea. Don't know what a tea is, except a six-month one, which includes tea, bread, a butter and cake ad lib, and it's cheap at the price if he didn't have any dinner. It seems to suit everyone, however, which is greatly to his credit. It suited to be a, a tea, too. Harris and I both said it was a good idea for George. He said it was a tone that seemed somehow ply. We were surprised that George should come up, come out so sensible. The only one who was not struck with the suggestion was Morrissey. He never did care for River de Morrissey. He did all do well, you fellows, he says. You'll like it, but I don't. There's nothing for me to do, seeing he's not in my line. I don't smoke. If I see you right, you won't stop. If you go to sleep, you keep falling about with the boat. Stop me overboard. If you ask me, I'll call the whole thing barely foolish. We're all three to one, ever. A motion was carried.